Good morning, everyone. Um, I have never had the pleasure of preaching during Advent before, but I find it fitting that I get to focus on joy. Um, sometimes this week is seen as love, depending on what version of Advent candles you use. However, I tend to think of the pink candle that we will light on Sunday as representing joy, particularly because it is an invitation to think of the joy that comes with the birth of Christ. The traditional name for this third Sunday of Advent is Gaudet Sunday, um, from the Latin word for rejoice in Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Um, rejoice in the Lord always, the Lord is near. In that, I want to follow suit with Ryan's questions that he has posed to us during the first two weeks of Advent. First, he offered, what are we waiting for? Second, how are we waiting? So, of course, to follow suit, um, I'd love to pose, why are we waiting? In that, my hope is to discover, why are you here? Why are you part of a little church called Mission Hills, showing up in a variety of forums? Why are you part of the Christian faith at all? There's something in all of us that calls us here. It could be a very wide scope of why you're here as someone belonging to a faith body at all, or very narrow in why you are here listening to this podcast at this place at this time. What motivates you to be in waiting in this period of Advent? Humans don't always tend towards patience, so there has to be something, mysterious or divine, that calls to you. I invite you to consider these words. And so, as we wait for the dawn, we find meaning and beauty in the night. We affirm the intimacy of this community and the joy we have in meeting with one another. As we wait for a purpose, we find rest in the light. And as we wait for our birth with far greater meaning, we recognize the journeys we currently inhabit as we find meaning in our own waiting. We acknowledge the life and the love that we seek and the hope we have that we will find. And so it is. For me, the seasons of Advent and Lent are both like teeter-totters. Constantly in movement, balancing between the growing pains of waiting and changing with the gratitude and simplicity I find in centering ourselves in each of these seasons. And the movement is most important. We aren't stagnant in our waiting. If you've ever taken a yoga class, I have found that the longer I hold a pose, the more resistance I feel in my muscles to move into the next one. It is in this resistance that I gain strength over time, but it's a reminder that I must keep moving and keep breathing through it. There are five texts that go with this week's lectionary reading, and while I wish I had the capacity to address all of them, 
I must admit my humanity and say that I do not. Um, the text from John also recounts John the Baptist. Um, we also actually talked about the Magnificat on Wednesday. And so for me, the passages that caught my eye come from Isaiah and 1 Thessalonians. It is written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among all people. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to be sprung up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. First Thessalonians Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the word of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do this. The word of the Lord. So between these two texts, one coming from Isaiah and the other, the words of Paul um, in First Thessalonians, I think it's really interesting to pull these two together because I think they do in part answer our what and how questions. According to the Isaiah text, we are waiting on the justice from God, a provision, a returning to joy. 
I mean, there are some beautiful things that are acknowledged here. To proclaim liberty, to receive garlands rather than ashes. Instead of receiving um, the bits of something passed away, we receive goodness and affirmation of life. Here, um, it's calling and speaking directly to the most oppressed among them. To assure them that just as surely as plants spring up from the earth, God has only good things in store. Good things characterized by peace and justice that would bring joy to all the earth. The second text from 1 Thessalonians is both a response to the good news that Christ had already completed on the cross, but also spoke to the thought and hope that Christ's second coming was coming soon. It gives some instruction on what to do in the waiting, whether that was the belief of the waiting time while you're here on earth, waiting for Christ's second coming, or waiting on the world to change and show more justice, more peace, more love, and more Christ. While Advent is a time of longing and waiting in the shadows for Christ to come, there's also room for some anticipatory joy in his coming. And it may seem strange uh, to jump to joy after first creating so much space for the dark night of the soul in our waiting. And perhaps it's easier for you non-Enneagram 7s of the world to hold both things at the same time. But again, I'm not the best multitasker, so maybe I'm the only one for whom holding joy right now in the midst of the year of being in the pit of despair seems to be my inclination after being in the pit for so long. And perhaps it may seem obvious, but I really do think that it's often good to stop and consider. Why are you here? Why do you intentionally show up? Why do you celebrate Advent? Is it because it's part of the church calendar? Because you take great enjoyment in holding both grief and joy in the intention of this time? What is it about Advent as part of this history that calls you? We're still here for a reason. Something in us has decided that participating in the waiting is worth it. Um, back in college, I would sometimes attend Mass at Loyola and to say prayer, partly because there's a space to learn more and see outside of my own tradition, and partly because I connected so deeply with Ignatian spirituality. And after praying the Lord's Prayer, we would hear, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This prayer reminds us that during Advent, we wait in joy in hope, and in anticipation for the wonderful event that we are not too far from experiencing. And this looks like the coming of Christ into our lives in new ways. As the church, we wait during Advent and look forward to celebrating the fact that God has a love so deep for us that Jesus came into the world to be near with us. And the waiting is far from empty. 
Rather, it is full of the hope that God promises as we prepare. And surprise, in that hope is joy. Of the four candles or themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love, I found it interesting that hope is the only one that's not considered a fruit of the Spirit. But I think that love, joy, and peace all stem from some kind of hope. If hope is what we are rooted in, the tree itself, then it is growing so many different kinds of beautiful fruit on its stems. However, it finds itself harder um, to grow those things when the roots are not strong. And if we are going to look back at the first Thessalonians passage in terms of the fruits, maybe it would look this way. A verse 16 would recognize joy, 17, faithfulness, 18, kindness, 19, peace, 20, patience, 21, goodness, and 22, self-control. In all of these things, they stem from the hope that we receive from the Isaiah passage, that as much as we know the shoots will grow up from the ground, we know that we wait and look towards the arrival of justice, of peace, and of Christ. And in this waiting time, we must care for those shoots, the fragile, questionable stems that may not always feel as strong of hope as we would like to have. And perhaps this allows us to see the necessity of faith. Faith in that inner waiting and inner tending, the hope will have the strength that surpasses understanding. In all of the seasons of life, especially in seasons of struggle, our lives are intended to be spirit-centered and animated by God's spirit. This is true last year, it's true in pandemic, it's true in your day right now. God's spirit moves freely and is unrestrained by human systems. It seeks justice and healing. And still, just as the first Thessalonians passage tells us, we can continue to sail with the winds of the spirit through practices of prayer, of gratitude, and of joy. And in that, these spiritual practices enable us to persist as we embody our dream of shalom in acts of protest and healing. So we turn this week to joy. Perhaps it's like the excitement that comes when you're waiting in line to get into concert you're excited for. We acknowledge that there can be joy in the waiting. Except instead of fleeting excitement or happiness, this is something that is rooted so much deeper. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. While happiness usually depends on circumstance, joy runs deeper. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death, can take that love away. 
Thus joy and sorrow can not only coexist, joy can even be found in the midst of sorrowful circumstance. Perhaps this isn't necessarily the right term, um, but I'd like to say that this is part of liminal joy. It is the joy that comes to us in the in-between, the hang of the balance of already and not yet. It is the joy that we experience in our day-to-day while also recognizing that our world is not yet as we'd hoped it would be. Liminal talks about threshold. These spaces are transitional or transformative. They are waiting areas between one point in time and space and the next. And often when we are in these liminal spaces, we have the feeling of just being on the verge of something. It could be a literal space, airport lobbies, schools during breaks, elevators, but there are also the spaces of liminality in our mental space. And these can feel unsettling when we have not yet arrived and are not yet and not anymore where we were. But our good friend Richard Rohr writes that liminal spaces should be introspective places rather than unsettling. To him, liminal is a word meaning threshold between one stage of life and another. As a result, it is only within these spaces that these are good spaces where genuine newness and the bigger world is revealed. And I'll say that even in death, there is quite a lot of liminal space. I see it day in and day out as I accompany patients and families in a patient's final final moments. I often invite families to share meaningful moments, memories that tell me who the person is and was, and enter the grief with them. And even in the hardest, most unexpected loss, the things that people bring back to mind are most often Moments of true joy with this person. The knowledge that they were fully loved and that there is nothing that could question that. Even as we accompany the person in the in-between of life and death in those final moments, there can be joy. The joy does not distract. It does not diminish the sorrow. But in fact, I have found that the two coexist quite well. In the teeter-totter analogy, this joy is in the movement. And when we have reached, not when we've reached one side or the other, it makes its presence known like that fluttery feeling in your stomach if it comes down too quickly. Present, but fleeting. Joy is also a practice in the present that allows us to create brave space for the future. As we talked about last week with the idea of moving our goal or lamppost closer and closer to the present moment so that our focus is recentered, joy allows us to be completely present in that moment. Adrienne Marie Brown says laughter is important. 
Joy is important. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's a strategic move towards the future we all need to create. One in which our children are laughing. Our children are free. They can go wherever they need to go. There are no borders holding them. That is what I'm living and loving for. Yesterday, as I drove home from another day of hanging in the balance of life and death, as I met with families and patients, the sky was mostly dark. It looked as if there were a thin veil of cloud, thick enough to not be able to see the sky behind it, yet thin enough that if I could fly, I wouldn't have to go much higher to break through. I noticed all of this because there was a thin line of break between the clouds that seemed to come up from the ground and clouds that covered the rest of the sky. It wasn't exactly a silver lining, but it reminded me of how light and darkness don't exist without one another. It was a reminder that we can hold and be both things at once, and it really was a beautiful sky. And as we've maybe heard or experienced before, there are many forms of prayer that invite us, whether it's into acknowledging our grief or lifting up praise and gratitude. But I'd like to introduce us to one in particular that maybe you haven't heard of before. And it's in relation to the second verse in our first Thessalonians text, to pray without ceasing. This is called affirmative prayer. I actually used it at the beginning, and I'll explain what it was. Instead of maybe opening a prayer like you've heard of before, addressing God or the divine or a petitionary word of please, each affirmative prayer opens with the words, and so. This is acknowledging that whatever was in your last prayer, whether it was a prayer for peace, a lament, perhaps the reality of your world, Whatever else it was, is true, and also, and so. It is the acknowledgement that we are continual in our liminal space, that we are continuous in our movement, and we can acknowledge both the things that we held dear in the past and what is necessary to us to hold in the present. Every statement in this prayer is an affirmation, perhaps of the gifts you are receiving, the things you recognize around you, the reality of your world. And each of these prayers ends with, and it was so. For me, prayer is bringing back to mind that God is always with us, surrounds us, and loves us. God's being or process doesn't move or forget or look away, even if I do. Prayer is an opportunity to bring back to the forefront of our minds the joy, the love, the pain, the grief, the storm, and the skies that God accompanies us through. Whether that looks like a cry out to them or a prayer of peace. And in that, I will leave you with an affirmative prayer for our community.
We acknowledge all of the things that have been part of our prayers that have come before this. We acknowledge the reality in which we exist today. And so, may we acknowledge the love that exists in this community and that we are drawn together as the body of Christ, bringing just one bit more justice, one bit more peace, one bit more Christ into the world. We recognize that merely existing right now and showing up is enough for today. We call to mind those that are present with us in our hearts, even if not in person. We affirm the strength that each person has in continuing to pursue light and life in the midst of darkness. And we also affirm the reality that joy can be present even in our sorrow, even in our waiting. And so it is. Well, I hope that there was something here that will be helpful to you. Um, And as always, we hope that you will join us Sunday morning uh, for our Zoom community and worship. And I'm so excited for a discussion to hear more about your why. So as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest.